0: Y'all may be seated if you would. And if you have your bulletins with you, uh, I met a couple of folks. It was their first time. So if you would please fill out the registration and drop that in the offering plate, let us know who you are. uh, We would uh, greatly appreciate that. Today, we have our membership class after the second service over in the ministry complex. And uh, probably there's enough room for a few more. Uh, For the lunches, we provide lunch for you, um, and that will be immediately after the the second service. Again, one more time, well, two more times, the family update options there that to let us know if anything's changed, addresses, anything like that, so that we can have accurate records here uh, when we send out emails, that kind of thing. This week is our senior ministry called Joy, and they'll be meeting this Tuesday. Uh, Miss Carrie, for a lot of you that have kids or grandkids in the um, children's area, she's wanting to have a movie night, a fun night in the factory for the kids, March 15th. You get this. She'll, she'll give that to you there. Before we um, ask you to stand one more time, I would like, because this is a biggie, those of you that have painted our brand new ministry, our brand new, brand new painting our ministry complex, would you please stand? I know you're in here. Come on. Come on, guys. Right here. Husband, wife, stand. They've worked hard. And it does, it looks good. It really looks sharp. So thank you all so much. All right. Now stand with them and let's worship some more.
1: Do you want to shake hands or not?
0: Yeah, shake hands. (laughs) Shake hands. That's good.
1: New song, y'all. All All right. Chad's going to lead us out on this. New song.
2: Sometimes sorrow is the door to peace. Sometimes heartache is the gift I need. You're faithful, faithful.
1: God, thank you for being who you are. The fact that you want us and yet you don't even need us is mind-blowing. God, this morning as we um, take up our offering, may we give with that in mind how awesome you are, our loving Father, so that the gifts that we give Will allow others to know how good you truly are. Be their pastor when he speaks. Bless this time in Jesus' name.
0: Did the lights go out over here a while ago, or flicker or something? I was hoping it wasn't just my eyes. Uh, if you see me dabbing my eyes a lot today, can't help it. Uh, I've got this dry eye thing going on for years that I got to get something done about it. Um, anyway, it's good to see you on a kind of a dreary morning. If there's ever a morning I could have just stayed in bed, it would have been today. Just stay stay right there, man. Well, if you have your notes, this is the part two to the sermon that we started last week on what kind of church do you want. And real quickly, uh, last week we talked about the different things that divide people in a church, and it was mainly some of the things were theological, but mainly we talked about the preferences that people had back in Paul's day of who was the better preacher, who was the better leader, and that kind of thing. And we, we, we kind of summarized that and said, look, it's okay. And having uh, differences and, and preferences, that, that's perfectly fine. I want you to hear this very clearly. It is okay to find and go to a church that you like because you like that style or you like the kids ministry for your kids or the student ministry for your teens, you know, or the worship style or the preaching style, or you like a guy that sits in a chair rather than stands up. You know, that's all because of nerves too and leg, but another story there. But it's, it's okay to have differences and it's okay there are times when you should leave a church. There's, there's reasons to do that. Um, and so, you know, I'm, what we're talking about, we're not trying to negate any of those truths about living today in a in church life. But the, the bottom line was this. We said, well, that's all good, but once, you, once you're there and the differences are still there you don't want to be divisive about it. You don't want to cause a problem over it. So do you have kind of the idea last week? That's where we're at. And we left off saying today, we're going to talk about the four things that Paul says can correct that if anyone has a spirit of divisiveness. So let's look at these four things quickly this morning. Number one, Paul says you've got to understand unity. What it really means, you've got to understand unity. Verse 10, we're still in chapter 1 of verse 10. Be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. So, is Paul saying that, that, um, that magically, when we agree on everything, every, all the differences are going to disappear? No, he's not saying that. Does he say, well, look, guys, I'll come to where you are, and I'll just straighten all this out, and you can start all over. No, he says, be of the same understanding and the same conviction. Now, what does he mean by that? If it's not, we have to agree on everything. Here it is. He means be of the same understanding and the same conviction about the gospel, about the word of God. That's very plain in the context that that is what Paul is going to be talking about. I, last week on purpose, I mentioned that three times, that it's all about the gospel and not just the death, burial, resurrection, but the whole body of truth that we get from the word of God. Now, a lot of people that talk about unity in a church, but they often don't know what it really is. So let's, I want you to write some things down. One, unity is not uniformity. It is not uniformity where everybody agrees on everything. That is not the biblical vision of a church. Are you listening to this? The New Testament church, and boy, this has been just pounded into my heart and my soul lately to share this one Sentence with you. A New Testament church is a church where Jesus is so large that it makes all the other things secondary. And they don't really matter because Jesus is so big and and important and powerful in our life. Can we talk? (laughs) Who used to? Somebody on TV used to say that. Can we talk? We were very blessed in 2020 when all this COVID stuff hit and all the, the mask and the vaccines and everybody do this, don't do that." And you know, we were so blessed I could probably count on one hand the number of people who left because they didn't like our stand on masks and things like that. But I talked to a lot of pastors in this county. And a lot of them were were so disappointed by how many church people were willing to walk away from their church over what I would think is a relatively small disagreement, at least in light of the gospel and eternity. Well, you didn't say enough about masks. Well, you said too much about masks. Well, you didn't say enough about You know, uh, vaccines, well, and distancing and all the other things that we had to deal with. Um, Listen, in that group that I told you about a handful, there was one family that had, I had been their pastor for over 10 years. I married one of their children. I was there when we buried one of their loved ones. And here's what I thought. And now you're ready to leave over disagreement about mask? That didn't make sense to me. You know, we Christians say that we hate this new progressive cancel culture that is out there. But it amazes me in those four years of how many people were willing to cancel their church over a disagreement that, to me, again, is a rather small thing compared to Jesus and the gospel and eternity. See, for Paul though, unity was not uniformity. Number 2, unity was not relativism. You say what do you mean by that? Well, that's the belief that some churches have, some denominations, I no need to name them, but where everything is okay. What somebody wants to do is okay and it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, whether it's right or wrong. Listen, that is ridiculous. There's got to be things that are right and wrong in this world. And the truth is, do we have the same conviction, you know, and an understanding of the importance of the word of God? Quickly, number three, unity is not abandoning our faith. You say, well, I don't know anybody that would abandon their faith. Well, there are some people who believe that the only way that we could could really be unified uh, as a church is, look, look, you just, you don't take a clear stand on anything. But folks, throughout the letter to the Corinthians, Paul is going to identify certain beliefs and say, guys, gals, we have got to agree on this. As, as If we don't agree on this, we lose our identity as God's people. Things like the work of Christ, the, the, the death and the burial and the shed blood, uh, and the forgiveness of sin, grace through faith being saved, the inerrancy of the Bible, and yes, even God's designed for gender and sexuality. All of those things. Number three or four, wherever, wherever we're at. Four probably. Unity is not just being sentimental about everything. Not just being sentimental. You just kind of paper over divisions. Talk, you don't talk, hey, smile for the camera, you know. Um, that's not what we are. And that's not God's or Paul's vision of unity. Are you listening? It is real people with real differences and preferences who find a larger hope in Jesus Christ and the body of work that he did. So if you'd write this down, it is conviction about the gospel. We need to have at this church the same conviction about the gospel. We don't have to have it about all these other things but we do about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you with me on that? All right. Which leads us to Paul's correction number two. We have to embrace grace. Really know what that is. Embrace grace. Now, this is one of the main points, so let me read several verses here for us. Be on the screen. Paul says in verse 13, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except, well, Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. Let me digress for just a moment. In in talking, do you know that when Paul gave a letter, when the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, he would tell it to a scribe that was right there by him, and then he would carefully listen and write down, and Paul would then sign the letter later, this is from me, from, from Paul. But when you read this, you get the point that these people were putting too big of an emphasis over being baptized by the right guy and not about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he begins in verse 17 and says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to do what? Preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. Well, you know, Paul, you could, we talked about it last week, You could try to learn to be a little more eloquent when you speak. You know, then you wouldn't have people going to sleep and falling out of windows like we talked about. Verse 20, where is the one who is wise? This is important when we get to the next section. Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs, the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. What is he doing there? He's telling us some things that you can't get salvation through. So let's write them down real quick. He said, look, Jesus didn't save the world through philosophical wisdom. In other words, salvation was not figured out by a bunch of egghead philosophers, who were sitting around like it says in Acts they did in Athens, pondering the lint in their belly button. But, you know, he said salvation, it appeared to a bunch of shepherds, a bunch of common people. So he said, look, it's not through wisdom. And then he said, number two, he didn't save the world through earthly success. Now watch this while you're writing that down. See, that's what the Jews wanted. They wanted a sign. They wanted Jesus to do something in the sky that was so dramatic and that would free them from Rome uh, rule and they could be the, the big dogs again and they could be free again. That's why it says they wanted a sign, but they never got that. You know, believe it or not, there were not a lot of followers of Jesus immediately after his resurrection. In fact, the Bible says, I think that in one place that there was like 120 that met. That's not a whole lot. Um, so it wasn't through earthly success. Number three, he said, look, Jesus isn't going to save you, especially to the people that were Jews by keeping the law, by being obedient to the law. Who were the ones who obeyed the law the best? Pharisees. Pharisees. And they missed the Lord Jesus. They were in fact his biggest opponents. It was the blue-collar people, folks. It was fishermen. It was carpenters. It was moral misfits. It was tax collectors, prostitutes that first believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The next thing he said, Jesus didn't save the world through giving us a bunch of biblical wisdom. A lot of people may need to hear this, that that may need to to hear what I'm about to say. I don't want you to misunderstand this. Teaching in a church is vital. It's what I do every week. And it's how we learn a lot of the truths of the gospel. Again, not just death, burial, resurrection, but the truth of the gospel. But folks, are you listening to this? We need to hear this. It wasn't Jesus' wisdom that saved us. It was what he did. It was what he did. You know, I think about the most famous teaching that he did do, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But let me give you some facts about that that I wrote down. Jesus' most famous teaching. Two of the Gospels, there's four Gospels, right? 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 This is yes. This is no. There's four Gospels. Two of the Gospels don't even record it. There's not a single parable that is recorded in all four Gospels. Only two of the Gospels tell us about his birth. Only two tell us about his temptation. John's Gospel doesn't even mention the Last Supper. Neither Matthew nor John Talk about the ascension of Jesus. However, however, all four gospels record his betrayal, his suffering, his trial, Peter's denial, choosing Barabbas over him, what was put on the cross, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. Amen? So what does that show us? It's faith in his work. Not knowledge about him that saves you. See, a lot of people are going to miss heaven by about 18 inches. The difference from here to here. They've got it up here, but they've never trusted down here. And that is what Paul is trying to tell them. So what does he say? How does he save us? Through the foolishness of what? Preaching. The foolishness of preaching, that's what Paul said. Now, what does that mean? That I sit up here and act like a fool to try to get the gospel to you? Put a little beanie on, with a little thing, of, a little thing on the top that float goes around? No, that's not what he's talking about. It's, it's it's very simple. He's just saying, look, guys, Christ did it all, so trust in Him. Learn to live live with Him. Love Him. So now, verse 23, we preach Christ crucified because Christ is the power of God. Amen? And the wisdom of God. See, he brings it all home now. You want wisdom? Okay. Christ is the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God. You're not saved. I I can't emphasize this enough. I know a lot of you this is repetitive, redundant, But maybe there's quite a few that need to hear it. You're not saved by obtaining enough knowledge about who Jesus is or about how did he instruct us. It is about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my goal is that we will, by the time we're done with this whole series, we will see the beauty and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in all of those things And that you and I will learn to trust him and to love him more than we ever did. All right. Well, Pastor Lord, that all sounded really good. But what in the world has that got to do with the subject of unity? Here it is. When you embrace the message of grace, I mean really embrace it. Any spirit of division will leave you. You won't want it having more Bible knowledge, being successful in a church ministry, all of those things. At the end of the day, all my wisdom and all my Bible knowledge and all the success of a church are filthy rags before God. As Paul put it, they are scubala, dung. Did you know he said that? All that about me is just dung. It's like filthy rags. I'm saved by Jesus Christ who became my righteousness. Everything that I needed, he was. And when I received him, I got it. Self-righteousness in this country, people thinking that they can do it on their own. They can be good enough. They can know enough about the Bible. They can know about God. They can even know about Jesus. That's self-righteousness, and folks, that is sending more people to hell than any other sin I know of, thinking they don't need a savior the true gospel cuts right against the grain of our heart and lets us know that yes i am a great sinner but i've got a great savior that's what it's all about and man when you when you embrace that it'll take any spirit of division right out of you number 3 embrace grace number 3 Make a lot to do or enlarge Christ. Verse 13a, Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? You know what he's asking? Who's your salvation? Is it Christ? Well, if it's about him, then what significance do all these other things have? See, Paul is not saying that, that we can become a follower of Christ um, and then when we do, then all of our differences disappear. I kept thinking, I want an illustration. You know, Lord, I, I want a good illustration to, to share with people about how I see church and how it should be. And here's what I came up with. Years ago, I don't anymore because of age and getting around and things like that, but I used to love to go to the Gator football games. Love to go to the Gator games. And I would sit there sometimes. And you know, you back then, I think it was about 70, now it's probably 90,000 people. And I, but I would sit there in that huge stadium and I would think about this. You know, I look around and all these people, we have something in common. There's 70,000 people around me, and I'll guarantee you there are dozens of things that we could all get in a fight over. Really. But you know what? For three hours, we got that one common thing. That's Gator football. And when they do something good, I'm high-fiving, hand-slapping, hugging people that I'll never see again. (laughs) But we all agree. We all have something in common. And folks, I think that's what I want in church. That when we come to church, our commonality outweighs any differences. You know, for here that hour, we're, we're all united around the same game. As I said, one of the most disappointing things to me about the last four years was how clear it became that there were so many Christians that their politics was so big, but their Jesus was so little, and it caused problems. Number four, hey, we're already to the last one. You might get out early today. wean yourself off of celebrities. Try to wean yourself off of celebrities. And I'm talking celebrities in the church. See, throughout these verses, Paul keeps asking, hey guys, what significance do all these earthly leaders have just because you're associated with them? Are you baptized in the name of Paul or Apollos or Peter? Are you dependent on us to be saved? And, of course, the answer was no. Now, are you listening? Because this is very important. Celebrities have always been a part of the Christian church. They always have. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, they they were known in the church. When they needed an issue, they would say, well, let's go to the apostles James will know what to do. John will be able to tell us what, what really happened back then. Peter will understand this. And so they always had celebrities. But I'm going to tell you, in our social media age, this thing's taking on new levels. And I see on Facebook all the time, like people that I know are not involved in a local church, but they're identifying with somebody of some church somewhere. As if they're getting their significance, like who they are, a sense of identity. Hey, I'm set apart. I'm special because I'm associated with that guy or that church. Paul says you don't need to be set apart by anyone except Jesus Christ. Now, folks, to be sure, earthly leaders can help us down here, right? I hope you know that, 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 hey, there's some things that, hey, let's go ask Pastor Lloyd about that, that maybe after 72, almost three years, you know, and, and ministering for 40-something, maybe he's got an idea about this. But I, I I don't know why it was in my heart and mind this week, but Psalm 23, I guess because I was getting ready to do a funeral, um, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, and, and it, it was like, hey, Lloyd, What's the first two words? The Lord is my shepherd. That's why I'll never lack anything or want for anything. I've never said what I'm about to say. In 43 years coming up, I've never said this. But I'm going to say it today. If I died tomorrow, I would hope and pray you would stay at Gulf to Lake Church. Now, folks, I get it. Maybe you came to this church because you like the style of preaching and you connect with that. That's fine. Or maybe the worship engages you or your kids love the children's ministry. Or your youth loved the, the, the um, teen ministry. And that's all fine. Those are fine reasons if you want to be involved in a church. But all I'm saying is over time, I would hope you would develop some family bonds that would make you feel a part of a church family. I want this church to become family to you. And again, I'm not saying that there's, Never a time to not leave a church. There is. But I've learned that people who grow the most are those who are involved in the family. And in, in, in not just spectating, but they're there. And finally, go off the lake on this sermon. Let's resolve... Ourselves to make the gospel the one thing that we unite around. Amen? That is so large in our hearts that any differences of people and style, hot or cold, loud or soft, what style of preaching or not, that that will become so insignificant because, man, for that one hour, we're on the same team. And we're cheering for the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got a lot of perspectives. I've got a lot of preferences that I like. But none of them are as important to me as people coming in and trusting Jesus as their personal Savior. And again, as I close this message, I want to be very clear for some of you. I'm not talking. I will never as long as God gives me a mind, back down from preaching the truth. We are unapologetic. I am unapologetic in my stand for the sanctity of life, for the sanctity of marriage, for God's design for male and female. And if that makes if that's unpopular, and that makes people mad and want to leave a church, so be it. Let them go. But we want to be a church where Christ is, again, so large, it cuts through all the noise out there. And we know who we are and where we're going because we're in Christ Jesus. I'd like to have a word of prayer. And then this little course that we've not done probably in 15 or more years that I'd like us to sing a couple of times through. Father, we ask and pray that the the importance and the truth of this two-part message. I feel like that I didn't do a very good job today, but I feel like the Holy Spirit did and that you touched our hearts and our spirits of what's important. So we ask that you make us one. Would you just, wherever you're sitting, reach and touch somebody next to you? Just next to you. just. You don't even have to hold their hand. Just touch them. Just be, touch them. And let's sing this a couple of times.
2: Make us one, Lord. Make us one. Holy Spirit, make us one. Let your love flow so the world will know we are one in you. Now you know it, so sing it with us. Make us one, Lord. Make us one. Holy Spirit.
0: God bless you. Have a great, great afternoon.